Okay, ladies, as I said, we're going to do this new series on First and Second Thessalonians. Sometimes that's hard to say. Try saying it five times in a row. Um, a lesson will be passed out to you when you leave today that you can work on during the week. For those of you that are new to our study, it's just three pages. I leave the back page blank so you can take notes during the message because we will have a message each week. Today, because you don't have a lesson to take notes on, there is um, uh, lined paper on the name tag table. If you want to take notes, please get some notebook paper back there. We do encourage you when you're doing the lesson to do all of it if possible. Otherwise, do at least maybe one or two questions per page. But even if you don't get it done, come anyway, because you can benefit from the group discussion, from the fellowship, from the message that is given. I put in optional questions for those of you that want to dig a little deeper, spend a little more time, otherwise just skip those optional questions. And the goal of coming on Thursday morning, and particularly the goal for the group discussion is fellowship, where you can also get to know other women in the church. It's for prayer. You can pray for one another and share your prayer requests. Uh, it's also for balanced discussion. I know a lot of you do your lesson from front to back, and you have lots of notes, and you could answer every question. But the group is really there for a group participation. The quiet ones can be encouraged to share one or two times, and the talkative ones need to be encouraged to not share your answer at every question um, so that we can learn from one another, and it can be an enjoyable discussion for everyone in the group. Okay, this first message that I'm going to go over this morning is an introduction and an overview to First and Second Thessalonians, two books of the New Testament. So first, the introduction. I want to give you a little background to these two letters that Paul wrote to the church in the city of Thessalonica. There were two other brothers in the Lord with him when Paul wrote these letters, Timothy and Silas. Now, Paul, we know, was Saul who had persecuted the early church, persecuting Christians until he met the Lord on the Damascus Road. And at that point, he had a complete conversion, and he became a proclaimer of the gospel, and he preached Jesus wherever he went. Uh, he planted many churches, and he preached to both Jews and Gentiles alike. And he was used by God to write letters to the churches then that are now much uh, a part of our New Testament. Now, Timothy was one of his closest companions in the ministry, as was Silas. Now, Silas was in prison with Paul um, when they were in Philippi. It's recorded in Acts 16. And I love this story in, in Acts. They were in prison, and it says at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and were singing hymns or praises to the Lord. There was an earthquake, and all the prison doors were opened. And Paul shared the way of salvation with the jailer who had thought everyone had, you know, just ran away as soon as the prison doors opened. But they were there, and the prison guard and his whole household were saved. Now, I heard a story. I can't not do it justice. I'm not even going to try, but I heard a pastor tell this story, and I love it. it. It's talking about Paul and Silas being in prison at midnight, and they start singing praises. Well, God begins to hear some, some music coming up, and he says, shh, 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 to all of heaven, because, you know, there's a lot of 
singing and worshiping and activity going on in heaven. And God said, shh, I think I hear something. Shh. So heaven all quieted, and the Lord leaned his ear down, and he could hear the music starting to rise. And it says, up through the atmosphere and the stratosphere and whatever other spheres there are up there. And God heard the music, and he began to tap his feet to the music. And that caused the earthquake. And the prison doors were opened. Now, that's not in your Bible, but it was a great story, and the guy that told it was incredible. Anyway, uh, so... They ended up leaving Philippi because they were released from prison, and then they went to Thessalonica, and this was during Paul's second missionary journey. And many were saved, and thus the church of Thessalonica was birthed. Um, Many in the city were unhappy, though, that Jew and Gentile alike were following Jesus and actually ran them out of town. And there's a key verse in Acts 17 that states, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And what a testimony that Paul and Silas and Timothy had turned the world upside down. Our world is upside down, and I don't think it's because of the church. But we need to do what we can to make a difference in this world. Now, most believe that these two letters of Paul were the first letters written to a church that are in our New Testament. Some believe that Galatians actually was written first. But either way, there's a lot that we're going to be able to learn from these two letters that Paul sent to this um, early baby church, so to speak. And while Paul was in Thessalonica, though planting this church, Thessalonica was a chief seaport city in Macedonia. And he was able to lead many to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But not only that, he taught them about the return of Jesus Christ. And as uh, Pastor Chris was singing about the Lord coming and the Lord's return, both letters um, deal with the Lord's return. And they, he had already taught them about it. They, there was a little confusion, and part of why he wrote was to clarify Uh, some of what um, they were thinking about the Lord's return. But even in that short time, again, Jews and Gentiles in that early church, he had taught about the Lord's return. Now, each of the five chapters in 1 Thessalonians closes with verses that do return to the Lord's return. Uh, These believers had true conversions, and their reputation of faith had gone out throughout all of Greece, even. So... um, Thessalonica, after they were run out of Thessalonica, Paul, particularly Paul, he went down to Berea and then to Athens, and he ended up in Corinth. And that's where they believe he was when he wrote these letters. But shortly after in arriving in Corinth, Paul sent Timothy to go back and to check on these new believers, to check on the church. And he came back with a great report, but also it caused Paul to want to write to them to encourage and to reassure them about the Lord's return. Because evidently the church had grown and some in the church had already passed on, had already died. And they were concerned, well, how could those who had already died experience the Lord's return? Because they wouldn't be there. So Paul was reassuring them that those that die in Christ rise first, and we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Then those who remain, those that are still living, when the Lord returns, we're going to be caught up together with them all. And I say we not hoping that I'm still here. I hope he comes for the whole church or soon, either way. But 
those that are remaining will be caught up together with the Lord and those that have gone on before them. So he wanted to reassure them. Also, some of Paul's enemies had heard um, what was going on, and they followed him and were trying to discredit him and his motives. So he wanted to write to these uh, believers in Thessalonica to reassure them of his love for them and to help them endure the persecution they were experiencing as new believers and, and turn not to fade back and not to turn back from following Jesus. And if you remember when you first gave your life to the Lord, you may have uh, experienced some persecution. Maybe your family thought you've lost your mind. I know my husband thought I joined a cult. Um, you know, and different things. And, and we all can experience a form of persecution as a new believer. Well, they were as well. And Paul was writing to encourage them to hang in there, to, to stay steadfast. Now, a third reason for his first letter was to explain the Christian standards for sexual purity, because they were living in a worldly environment, and their standard was pretty low. They had low moral standards. Now, Paul's second letter was written several months after his first letter, probably toward the end of his ministry while he was in the city of Corinth. And it's possible that another letter, a forged letter, had circulated to Thessalonica, and it had upset and confused the believers. So he wrote a second time to let them know it was not from him and know they had not missed the second coming of the Lord. Because at that point, then they thought some were not working, and they thought because the Lord's return is going to be any day, um, and others were working, and so those that weren't working were taking advantage. And then some were very concerned. They thought the persecution they were going through was part of the great tribulation, and Paul was letting them know that the persecution is be and tribulation is because you're a believer and you're following Jesus, and it's common to all believers. It's not the great tribulation. That would still be yet to come. So... Um, 1 Thessalonians deals with Paul's teaching on the return of Christ. Many believe the verses refer to the rapture of the church. And 2 Thessalonians deals with Paul's teaching on the great tribulation and the second coming of Christ. Now, both letters were written to clarify, to comfort, and to encourage the believers. And Lord willing, we will be comforted, we will be encouraged as we wait for the Lord's return especially as the persecution of Christians here, even in our country, is getting worse. Opposition to Christianity seems to be increasing more and more. So now, basically, you have been introduced to First and Second Thessalonians. Now, for the overview of these letters, I want to just give you a few highlights from each of the chapters in these two books. Uh, First Thessalonians has five chapters, Second Thessalonians has three chapters. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're going to learn of the Thessalonians' work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope as a result of the gospel and the work that Paul did when he was there in that short time. Even in just the first couple of verses of the first chapter in that first letter, we're going to learn about prayer and how it can be just making mention of others in prayer and giving thanks for them. I think sometimes we don't pray, we don't intercede for others because we think we need at least an hour to spend on our knees in prayer. And if we don't have that, then we just kind of 
avoid prayer altogether. But Paul made mention and gave thanks for them in his prayers. We can make mention of others in prayer, and our prayers can be effective. We're going to learn of the persecution that they were experiencing because of becoming a Christian and being followers of Jesus. And yet we see in the midst that they were persevering and their reputation had spread throughout Greece. So I wonder, as I worked on this, I wonder how far has our reputation spread? Does your family know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that you've put your faith in Jesus? Do your neighbors know? Do those you go to school with or work with know? Um, How about your circle of friends? Do they know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? I hope so. Well, our one-day conference is coming up a week from Saturday. Sunday's the last day to buy a ticket. Um, Is going to focus on becoming women of influence, godly influences, because as women, we all have a sphere of influence. And we want to be godly influences, don't we? I'm sure you do. That's why you're here today. We all want to be more effective as we walk and learn about Jesus and we walk with him. Um, And so come and learn about being an influence for God. Also, as we study these letters, we're going to be comforted and reassured even as they were Because in chapter 1, we learn that we've been saved from the destruction and God's wrath that is to come upon an unbelieving world, upon those who are rejecting God and his love that made a way of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And, you know, you remember Jesus even said, wide and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and narrow is the way, and few find it. You found it as a believer in Jesus Christ. But... There is coming a day when God's wrath will be poured out on all those that have rejected his offer, his free gift of salvation. So that's chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul explains how when he was there with them sharing the gospel, he didn't ask for money. He worked so that he wouldn't be a burden to them. He wrote about his love that he had for them as a father and how the Lord had allowed him to share the gospel, which with them, which led to their salvation. He lets them know that they aren't the only ones that are suffering persecution because of their faith, and he encourages them to keep following Jesus and to keep living by the word of God. We need to be reminded, ladies, that we're not alone in our suffering, especially when it has to do with our faith in Jesus Christ. Family, friends, even strangers that you try to witness to can ignore you, can make fun of you, can just actually be rude to you and say, I don't want to hear it. Well, my husband just had Mohs surgery on two places, one on the temple and one under an eye last Saturday. And he, every time he went in, because it took four tries on one side to make sure the margins were clear, three on the other. And while he was in there every time, he tried to bring the Lord into the conversation he was having with the doctor and with the nurse. Well, neither one of them wanted to bite. He, they just wanted nothing to do with what he was saying about the Lord. So, we, you know, we, we can try, and that's all we can do is plant seeds, water seeds. God's the one that gives the increase. We just need to share with others the love of Christ and, and do our best, and it's up to the Lord then what happens. Well, Paul also tells them in Second Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter 2, how much he longs to see them again, but how Satan had hindered them from coming. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul tells them that because they couldn't return to see him, he sent Timothy to check with them and how Timothy had come back with a glowing report of their faith and love and how it had comforted Paul and the others in their own time of distress and suffering persecution because they had shared Jesus with others and their faith was growing and their faith was being noised abroad. So it was an encouragement to Paul and the others where they were that the fruit that had come forth was real. We read of Paul's heart of prayer for them, which is a great example of prayer for us to pray for ourselves and to pray for others. In fact, as I was working on this, the Lord said, stop and pray it. So let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would make us to increase and abound in love to one another and to all so that you may establish our hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And we say, amen. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now in his letter, Paul begins to address the immorality in the church. And he states that their sanctification is the will of God and that they should abstain from sexual immorality. He tells them that God did not call them to uncleanness, but to holiness, and that he had given them the Holy Spirit. How we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, who is changing us from the inside out, making us more like Jesus, giving us the power and the strength to overcome the, the uncleanness that we deal with in our lives. And we're surrounded and, and bombarded, aren't we? Uh, with sexual immorality as we live in this world. Commercials, music, movies, uh, they're filled with sex and usually with unmarried partners. Um, now the media is shoving down uh, our throats, the transgender and the gay lifestyle and trying to desensitize us to that sin and to make us feel that that's norm and that we need to accept it. We love the sinner, we hate the sin and we don't want to compromise and acknowledge and welcome that sin, but to pray for those people as well as anyone else who doesn't know the Lord. But God, but God, he has given us the Holy Spirit to convict us of that which is sin and then to help us stand and withstand against the direction the world is trying to make us go. Now, think about this. With our remote controls... It is so easy to turn the channel or to turn the TV off. Many of you are going to remember the day when we didn't have remote controls and we had to actually get up from where we were sitting, walk to the TV, and turn it off or turn the channel. Wow, how awful that used to be. Anyway. It's very easy, and you know that old phrase, garbage in, garbage out. So we need to set aside and, and make decisions sanctified to be, the sanctification says set apart from sin and the world and be set apart unto God for his plan and pleasure. That's a simple definition of what it is to be sanctified in Christ, to be set apart from sin and the world and to be set apart unto God for his plan and pleasure. And that means looking and sounding different than those living in the world. We should have different interests, different mindset, different attitudes, different dress, different behavior, different speech, because it's allowing the Lord to change us from the inside out and make us more 
Christ-like. And you know, it's so much easier today. We have so many Christian artists that we can have easy access to CDs and DVDs that glorify the Lord instead of offending him. Now, in chapter 4, Paul continues to commend the Thessalonian believers for their brotherly love, but he also encourages them to increase more and more in love and to try to live a quiet life, to mind their own business, and to work with their own hands so that they would have a good witness uh, unto and toward the unbelievers. He reassures them of those who have gone on before them that they will rise first, and those still living will join them and the Lord. And Paul never indicates when, but that it will happen. He states it as a fact. It will happen. And he said that we should comfort one another with that truth. And sometimes when we lose a loved one, it's very comforting to know that if they knew the Lord, we will see them again. Uh, you know, I'm, it brings me comfort knowing I'm going to see my mom and dad again. I'm going to see my brother again. I'm going to see my four-day-old grandson again. And what's even more comforting I'm going to see the Lord. I'm going to be with him forever. Those words should comfort us in our sorrow, in our grieving, when we have lost a loved one or someone very close to us that has gone on before us. And it just makes heaven that much sweeter. 1 Thessalonians 5, so in light of the Lord's return, then how should we live? Well, Paul continues with several exhortations, short exhortations, before he finishes his letter. And I'm just going to read them because they're still very much applicable for us today. Esteem those over you in the Lord. Be at peace among yourselves. Warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. Don't render evil for evil to anyone. Always pursue what is good for you and others. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in everything. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. And abstain from every form of evil. Those are things that we should be doing or not doing um, as we watch and we wait for the Lord's return. So that's an overview of Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica. Now an overview of his second letter, chapter 1. Paul writes to the church again, thanking God for them and the love that they had for one another. And he encourages them in how they are enduring persecution, and he reassures them that the Lord will deal with those who are troubling them when he returns. And we can take, I think, reassurance and comfort in that too. Sometimes you, you witness and you witness and you witness and you pray and you pray and you pray. And um, some even just are, are rude and mean and nothing like other believers are facing in other parts of the world. But even still, we can take comfort knowing that the Lord is going to deal with those that reject him and that trouble the believers that are trying to just love them with the love of the Lord. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul wrote to let them know that the tribulation they were experiencing was not the great tribulation, but that was because of their faith in Christ. And he explains to them what needs to take place before God's wrath is poured out, which will be after the Antichrist sets himself up as God, and there will be many who will be deceived. Now, none of that had, had happened yet. It still has not happened. 
Nothing else needs to take place before the Lord comes for his church, but God's wrath will not be poured out until those other things take place with the Antichrist. So he encourages them to stand fast, to continue to live for the Lord, and he warns them about idleness, and even though the Lord's return is certain, they were still to work and not take advantage of others. Now, both letters deal with the return of the Lord and how we are to live as Christians while we wait for his return. So if that's what the church in Thessalonica needed to hear then, how much more we need to hear it today. While we don't know when the Lord's coming, we can know, even as Paul stated, he will return. And it's like this little phrase, two words, perhaps today. We need to be living in expectation and be confident he will return. We don't know when, and we need to be ready. It doesn't mean we stay in the house with a suitcase packed, and we don't work, and we don't do anything, or we go out and max out our credit cards. No, that's not what the Lord wants us to do. We need to live one day at a time, occupying, being about his business, buying up every opportunity he gives us for him, but living in expect, with an expectation of his return at any time. One comment I re read, the best way to prepare for Christ's return is to live faithfully and obediently now. And I would wholeheartedly agree with that, and I hope you do too. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these two letters. We thank you for your word and the Holy Spirit that gives us understanding of your word and how it applies to our lives. Lord, help us to learn and to grow as we study and share with one another the things that you show us individually as we work on the lessons and then as we come together and share with one another. So, Lord, we look forward to uh, drawing closer to you and meeting with you, but, Lord, we also look forward to your soon return. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Lord, help us to watch and be ready and yet be pleasing to you, blameless in your sight as you do that work in us and through us. For your glory we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.